0: You're listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurs, the podcast, the audio supplement to our blog of the same name about the science, art, and popular culture of Mesozoic life. I'm Nati. I'm Mark. And I'm Niels. In episode 18, our Prehistoric Planet special, find out whether or not I retain enough composure to last the interview without succumbing to the vapours, as I speak later to paleoartist and the original paleo-bay, Gabriel Lugetto.
1: (laughs) I'm sure Julio has something to say about that.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm sure he must. Before that, in place of our usual vintage dinosaur art discussion, we turn our attention instead to the thoroughly deserved sensation that is the Prehistoric Planet series, released on Apple TV Plus back in late May, where it is still available to stream. But first, uh, not a to surprise, but perhaps it could be regarded as a much belated Easter gift. Uh,
1: Niels? Yes, an egg within an egg, ovum in ovo. It's a developmental pathology causing multiple eggshells to develop in the same egg, uh, which they really aren't supposed to do. It's a phenomenon that has been observed in extant turtles and birds, and now a paper in Nature Scientific Reports by Harsha Diman et al. describes it in a dinosaur. An egg from a nest of otherwise normal titanosaur sauropod eggs found in the late Cretaceous Lamita formation of India, shows this ovum in ovo pathology, the first recorded case in a non-avian dinosaur egg. The find suggests, uh, not surprisingly, that the uterus of dinosaurs is much like that of birds, which have a specialized uh, five-part egg-laying apparatus, with every part performing a different task for more efficient sequential egg-laying. I did not know that before I did the research. Wow. Um, the, the uterus of other reptiles remains much more generalized. Sauropods could probably lay eggs at lightning speed. We already knew that they laid many eggs at the same time. The uh, downside, of course, is that when it goes slightly wrong, you get this egg within an egg which would never have hatched. But it does make a belated Easter surprise. Wonderful. That's fantastic, thank you, Niels.
0: Very nice.
1: Anyone for omelets? <laughs> Double layered uh, omelets. Yes, yes, remember? exactly.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark uh, back on form as our resident theropod stan with tidings of yet another spinosaur from the British Isles. Okay, this is kind of old
2: news at this point. I mean, this was published earlier this month. The time of speaking is. June, so it's going to be old news. And it was all over the media, often reported quite inaccurately, which I'll get to in a minute. But yes, it's Spinosaur from the Isle of Wight again. Um, No name for this one. It's described in the paper. A European giant, large dinosauria, dinosauria, theropoda from the Vectis Formation, Wielding Group, early Cretaceous, UK. And uh, written by Barker et al. And one of the authors is Darren Naish. And there's a prehistoric planet tie-in Ooh. for you. Because, of course, Darren was uh-huh. the lead scientific advisor for prehistoric planet. So, yeah. And he was involved in this paper, along with um, Chris Barker, Jeremy Lockwood, Sophie Brown, Amy Hart, Ethan Tullock, and Neil Gostling.
1: It's to a great extent the same people who gave us... Uh... Reparo Venator, and, uh, of course, uh, (coughs) Ceratus Sucops in Ferro (laughs) Dios.
2: Yeah, it's not a coincidence. Um, (laughs) So this is from much the same team, and they here describe a very fragmentary, well, fairly fragmentary Spinosaur specimen from about the same sort of location. So it's um, Compton Bay, Compton Shine um, on the Isle of Wight. And this, yeah, it consists... Of uh, <clears throat> um, probable yet fragmentary anterior dorsal vertebra, a pair of few central sacra, partial anterior cordal vertebrae, vertebra, sacrocordal centrum fragment, rib fragments, pieces of ilium, and portions of long bone, along with other little bits and pieces that they can't really identify. So.
1: That's no, quite a bit, actually.
2: Yeah, that's a fair, fair few little bit of fragments. Um, unfortunately, not enough to be diagnostic, as far as the authors are concerned. There aren't enough um, or or unique things about it to, that they could really give it a name.
1: They should have found the tip of the snout. That usually <laughs> helps.
2: Right. <laughs> so it's, uh, or indeed any of the skull whatsoever. And it's, um, so it's spinosaurid indeterminate, you know, indeterminate Spinosaur, um, unfortunately, but still there's quite a bit of it known and it's big. It's like really big. I mean, this is what made the headlines. Yes. Yeah, it's so it's prob- uh, huge. Yes. It's probably, possibly the largest theropod ever found in Europe. Well, yeah.
1: This. So, what would be the current record holder for that? Would that be Torvosaurus tenerae?
2: I guess. I mean, there were some pretty big um, spinosaurs as well, but uh, yeah, I guess it would be Torvosaurus. But this, this is uh, this could be probably the biggest theropod found in Europe. Um, on the BBC website, this became Europe's largest land dinosaur in the headline, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, that's. Lazy editing. I mean, what ever happened to sub editors? Were they just all fired? Um, There are no sub editors anymore.
3: He's doing this stuff.
2: (laughs) Anyway, significant things about this, apart from it being big. I mean, there's and there's a description in the paper in in, immense amounts of detail of every single little bit of these bones. Um, They're also younger than the other spinosaurs. So things like Baryonyx and the Hell Heron and the other one. Um, they're actually, they're from the Vectis formation, which means that they are younger. Um, in fact, they are possibly the youngest spinosaur material from Europe, I believe. Um, and yeah, I think so. Yeah. Pretty remarkable in that sense too. And also it's remarkable to find any dinosaur remains in the Vectis formation. It's not really known for dinosaur remains. Some of the older, um, strata in the Wielden Supergroup, Yes, definitely, obviously, but not so much the, lexis formation um and yeah they ran some phylogenetic analysis and although it's a bit you know (laughs) hard to say it's possibly an early branching spinosaurine rather than uh, a baryonic kind so yeah possibly an early branch on the spinosaurus sort of tree going towards spinosaurus and sigilmasosaurus and all that lot um, it's another interesting implication. Although I think really more of it needs to be found before anyone can say anything for absolutely certain in that respect. But yeah. yeah, great, fascinating find. I know it's kind of old news, but um worth mentioning again, especially with that prehistoric planet link. Oh, another thing actually. Of course. They also describe in great detail some pre burial erosion that happened on the bones. Um that they believe has been caused by beetles burrowing and the larvae burrowing into the bones. Uh believing oh, wow. these sort of Tubes and nice. pits, yeah. So, a nice bit of extra detail thrown in there. As I said, the amount of detail in it is nuts. <laughs> compared, to, compared to some papers that I've read about quite fragmentary uh, specimens, this just goes into huge amounts of detail and even looks at stuff like beetle erosion on the bones. I mean, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> or no, or maybe I'm just naive, but I was quite impressed anyway. So, yeah, possibly Europe's largest theropod, and let's hope they can find a bit more of it somewhere.
1: That's very yeah. cool. Let's hope. So the Isle of Wight is really Spinosaur central.
2: Yeah, it seems that way. But I mean, you know, well, kind of. <laughs> I mean, at,
1: at least,
0: at least so far as so far as Europe
2: is yeah. concerned.
1: Yeah, they're always standing in the water, so they've got a wet leg.
0: Uh...
1: <laughs> Come on, give me some credits. I thought long and hard uh... about that one. <laughs> yes. Oh, well done, Neil. They were Thank on Glastonbury you. this year.
2: Uh, yeah, you say that we're having fun. Do you know that you're the only one?
1: Anyway,
0: next (laughs) fantastic, thank you so much, Mark. Um, and finally, in a very neat connection to Niels's egg within an egg, uh, yet more news concerning dinosaur reproduction. Uh, what say you to a 130 million year old dinosaur belly button? That's right. The same phenomenally preserved specimen of Citacosaurus mongoliensis, which has revealed in astonishing detail the animal's scales, quills, countershaded coloration, and even its cloaca, has now given us a belly button. Not quite like the placental mammalian belly button in appearance, but certainly synonymous to it in function. Uh, The paper... Oldest Preserved Umbilical Scar Reveals Dinosaurs Had Belly Buttons, by Bell et al., describes a midline elongate structure bordered by two neat rows of scales in a slight misalignment in the pattern of the skin over the dinosaur's abdomen. Identified with the aid of laser-stimulated fluorescence, this umbilical scar is where the yolk sac, which delivers oxygen and nutrients, and the allantois, which removes metabolic waste, would have been attached to the embryo whilst in the egg. Now, In most birds and reptiles, the yolk sac is absorbed by the embryo upon hatching, and the umbilical scar heals within days or weeks thereafter. But in some lizards and crocodilians, however, this scar remains long past sexual maturity. The authors find that this similarity, plus the neatness of the scales and the absence of disruptive regenerative tissue, indicate that this scar in the Psittacosaurus was not the result of trauma or a healed injury. And by measuring the specimen's femur length, this animal is thought to be itself nearing sexual maturity at about six or seven years old. And because of this comparative ontogenetic lateness of the scar's persistence, it's thought that perhaps it would have been retained throughout its life ah uh, the authors do caution that because of the enormity of diversity in non-avian dinosaurs this discovery does not necessarily mean that such an umbilical scar would have been present in all of dinosauria but nevertheless here is evidence at last for what has long been suspected of egg-laying dinosaurs and i dare say that this won't be the last among the extraordinary things that this fossil will have yielded for us
2: it sounds ridiculous like what next they Find that it scratched itself three minutes before death on its face, you know, in (laughs) a precise location. It's the the gift that keeps giving. It
0: really is. It it truly is. But with that in mind, though, uh, a few words should be said about the controversy surrounding attempts to repatriate this fossil, uh, known as SMFR 4970, uh, back to China, uh, whence it was reportedly smuggled into into underground European markets some 30 odd years ago before being acquired by the Senckenberg Museum in. Frankfurt, Germany, where it is now on display. Um, The researchers do stress that repatriation attempts have been made, though obviously so far unsuccessfully, especially as the fossil's ownership is still contested. They also add that it's important to note that the specimen was acquired by the Sinkenberg Museum uh, to prevent its sale into private hands and to ensure that it is available for scientific study. Um, So essentially, it looks like The phrase, watch this space, is to be the byword with regard to this fossil on all fronts. But for now, at least, uh, the Umbilical Scar Paper is published by BMC Biology and is open access.
1: Great. Does anybody want to make a navel-gazing joke? Haha. You just did. I'm going to add some crickets here.
2: (laughs) Or a rim shot. (laughs) Yeah. And after your wet leg joke as well. But crickets <laughs> off.
0: Oh, poor Niels. <laughs> anyway, now let us on to Prehistoric Planet, uh, the five part British American documentary series produced by the BBC Studios Natural History Unit, executively produced by John Favreau and Mike Gunton, and narrated by Sir David Attenborough, which premiered on Apple TV Plus beginning May 23rd, 2022. Where would we like to start? Well,
2: well. firstly, does this mean I could do my bad David Attenborough impression again? Um, like, referring to the series in such a way to make it seem everything sound
3: profound and incredible.
1: Go on there. Blah, blah, blah. Get it out of no, your system. Okay, stop now.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> <clears throat> well, it was, it was a very,
0: very nice series, indeed.
1: Um, yes, it's a bit good, isn't it? It Just a little. Good.
0: Uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, essentially, I, I have almost nothing to add to the discussion, other than to say that I love it so much, um, and that's the end of it. Well, <laughs> I almost end. have nothing else to say. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> good
1: night. Good night.
2: Well, I, as you know, um, if you read the blog, which of course everyone listening to this reads the blog on a regular basis, uh, I wrote blog posts at the time. Yeah, about the different episodes and my thoughts and such. And I obviously enjoyed it very much. Um, it's not entirely flawless, but it's so much better than anything else we've had since Walking with Dinosaurs. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm like, who cares? It looks amazing. The, the, the main thing about it is that the animals are all animated in an incredibly convincing way you look at them and you just believe Mm -hmm. it instantly um yes even when it's done by hollywood studios and with an immense budget and which to be fair this kind of was (laughs) but i mean in the movies when it's done with an immense budget in things like certain movie franchises they often get it Wrong, like you have giant theropods that would have been highly sort of gravity portal and heavy and big and stiff, and you have them bouncing around right over the place like crazy and making improbable leaps in the air and stuff and in this they they look like they do have that kind of mass to them for everything does um from it, everything looks appropriately heavy, but it should be from obviously Tyrannosaurus other large theropods up to the the giant sauropods I mean this is one of the most convincing looking sauropods that we've seen really on screen in yes. the way that they move and the, the mass that they seem to have
1: they're selling the mass really well but also i want to flag up the tangibility which we've mm, also talked about when exactly. we were talking about civic it's you can reach out and touch them it would be inadvisable to do so in some cases but <laughs> yes
2: yeah we thought that was some more than others i mean the Velociraptor yes, right. raptor was one of them that i thought was absolutely gorgeous i mean that's easily the best dromeosaur that we've seen on the screen that ever is the best
1: dromeosaur i've ever seen
0: all of the
2: manoraptorans in this <laughs> yeah.
1: series are uh, to me at least It looks very Jed taylor as well as uh, emily willoughby of course but uh, that's who i was thinking of when i saw those uh, velociraptors
2: yeah i don't, I don't think jeb was involved I mean, i'm sure he'll chip in if he was but um, <laughs>
1: i don't think he was but no uh, no Somebody's been paying attention. What it has in
2: common with Jed's work is looking just very natural. It's not trying to be um, a part reptile, part, in the traditional sense, part bird monstrosity thing with, you know, fused together with feathers stuck on it. And it's not, it just looks like a natural animal. Exactly. Yeah, they just look utterly convincing. Um, and the feathers were. Perfect. I suppose the advances in technology have helped a great deal. I mean, twenty years ago, you probably could not have done
1: feathers like that in CGI. I don't thing. think so. I mean, just look at Walking with Dinosaurs, which still had unfeathered dromaeosaurs, even though by that point in time, they probably should have known better.
2: Yeah, in ninety nine. But then they... again,
1: you look at you look at those different paleo documentaries that uh, that came up in the wake of Walking with Dinosaurs. Uh, you did see more and more attempts to make the to make the dromaeosaurs, I'm trying not to say raptors, to make the dromaeosaurs feathered, and the results were usually pretty dodgy. Yeah, they were iffy. I think it was mainly to do with the CG. Mm,
0: it, it's a similar story with uh, Dinosaur Planet, uh, uh, just a relative few years ago, um, where the the maniraptors uh, and the dromaeosaurs, well all the Manuraptorans, uh, were fully feathered, but, um, but the results uh, look completely different now. Um, the feathers then still, uh, there was, well, not to be unkind, but, but simply uh, just owing to the technology of the time, the feathers then still looked st- stiff and, and, and unnatural, for, for want of a better description. I'm
1: not sure if it is just down to the technology, though. I think there is a fundamental difference in design philosophy between those maniraptorans and the ones we're seeing in Prehistoric Planet. Because the, the old ones, uh, obviously, they were built from the unfeathered state up. They took an unfeathered maniraptoran and stuck the feathers on yes, yes. instead of integrating the feathers into the animal, which is mm. what you would do if you would animate a bird. That's right. It's yes. Even 20 years I ago, you could animate a fairly convincing looking bird.
2: I think it's a bit of both. I think there is that building up on a kind of 90s featherless dromius or, I hate to use this word, I'm sorry, paradigm. <laughs> but uh, it's a legitimate use of the word. Yeah, there's that building on that so as you say starting with a featherless base and then just sort of sticking the feathers on where you think's appropriate but also the technology was more limited especially with the kind of budgets that they're working with in tv even very highly yeah, funded, it wouldn't TV. have been as detailed yeah mm. it wouldn't have been as detailed but even with highly funded tv it just cannot match hollywood kind of budgets which thanks to streaming and the deep pockets of apple i think this was able to this did Make have a Hollywood possible. kind of budget yeah. i'm not sure what kind of budget it ultimately had
1: yeah. but it looks well it looks like they spared no expense haha, ha-ha. Oh, um, see what i did ha-ha. there yeah i'm on fire today man yeah <laughs> you just
2: you could see that money all over the screen i mean the everything about it was jaw-dropping the scenery even was spectacular it was absolutely so stunning you know, i just remember that scene with the pterosaurs around the waterfall and just the, the camera swoops over that's another thing the camera is uninhibited as well around the environments. it's swooping around and down mm. and it's entirely like a, a standard bbc natural history shoot you know where they go for all these fancy, this fancy it- cameras
0: Yeah. And this is the other key uh, highlight, I think, of the whole series, not just the incredible realism of the animals, but the way everything feels entirely immersive. And you are just lost uh, in, in, in viewing this whole thing unfold before your eyes and not thinking that that's a CG animal. It just feels real to you.
1: Um, I kept uh, forgetting that I wasn't watching a real nature documentary.
0: Exactly so, and I mean, for ex- just for example, in the the deserts episode, uh, which is uh, probably my my second favorite, um, uh, the the sequence with the Cicernosaurs, um, uh crossing the desert, uh, the gypsum dunes. To, uh, to make their way to the coast and the moment they arrived there where the coastal June fog um, is created where the, the, the hot desert sands meet the sea um, it, was, it was that immersive that I felt the mist <laughs> in front of me I felt like a, I was heaving a breath of moist air after being parched for so long, it was that convincing I mean, yes, <laughs> it was though I yeah, mean, yeah it it was uh, the um... And so, what already helped
2: the immersion was the fact that the camera was uninhibited, as it would be if it was just, if they were just going out there filming animals. So there was no need to lock down the camera because otherwise the special effects would fall. But
1: apart. you know, it's not just uh, walking with dinosaurs with better effects. It is quite different from walking with dinosaurs in many ways. And um, exactly, one right. one thing that I think is very different from walking with dinosaurs is the pacing.
0: How mm. so?
1: Because Walking with Dinosaurs was very storytelling-focused. Yeah. And this is more a collection of scenes from whatever environment we're focusing on. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right.
2: true. That, I mean, Walking with Dinosaurs tended to focus on a often a single animal or maybe a group of animals. So you had the giant Ornithokyrids, whatever it's called. Um, they called it Ornithokyrids, but it wasn't, anyway. <laughs> you had the Ornithokyrids, you had the female... Tyrannosaurus in the last episode, um, the, the Diplodocus yeah, baby that grew into an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had these characters, whereas in this, it's just um, here are some animals doing things, here are some more animals doing things, over here are some animals doing things. Mm. And it, it is more like a, a real nature documentary in that respect. Although, I mean, there are some nature documentaries that have characters, but they, they are more sort of fabricated, and this felt more real,
0: <laughs> as it were. Yes. I mean for me though these these vignettes um these just little glimpses of, of you know isolated things happening really works um in his favor for me um I don't mind the absence of, of a narrative strand which I do know that some others have been uh, complaining about actually um I don't Boy. I didn't mind that at all but well I don't know perhaps they just preferred uh you know the preferred the narrative format um but but yeah, for my part, I didn't. I didn't have any issue with that at all. But I do think that they do make up uh, for the for the lack of that in general a little bit in certain segments. Um, for instance, in uh, the Ice Worlds episode with my beloved Alora Titan, for example. Uh, ah, the, yes. Uh, yes, the Alora Titan was given a little bit more. led to death. <laughs> you see, the Allura Titan were given a little bit more airtime on their own, weren't they? There was a little bit of an introduction of that narrative strand that people have been uh, been wanting up until that moment. So I think they do make up for that a little bit. Um, but yes, Mark, as you were saying, um, it, this, uh, it's, 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 it's my favorite episode, and not just because of my beloved Allura Titan, which admittedly, after seeing them brought to life so beautifully, it uh, was a little heartbreaking to witness them uh being exsanguinated uh, in the same Aww. moment so um, um but at least it wasn't uh it wasn't owing to another great toothy theropod uh-huh. um so there is that well speaking of great toothy
2: theropods i mean t-rex popped up a few speaking times speaking of great toothy theropods. it's gonna be very happy yeah um and it's probably the best again the best t-rex that we've seen on screen so far so that's also made me very oh, happy. Yes. Um, again, it looked very, it looked heavy. The way that it walked, it carried a lot of weight. Um, it went swimming, which was nice. I mean, that was uh, different to see T-Rex swimming, which it definitely could have done. Man, I, mean, do I, I had got? a discussion
1: with some idiots on the internet who really couldn't accept that c rex was swimming. And I was like, you know, dude, oh, it isn't yon. good for swimming. Most things swim. mm
2: Lots of animals swim yeah. occasionally. doesn't mean they're aquatic or semi-aquatic. Except I Except mean, like, giraffes. Except probably giraffes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for example, human beings are terribly adaptive for swimming, but it doesn't stop us swimming occasionally. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we are terribly exactly. adaptive for swimming. Don't listen to any hypotheses about us ev- evolving from evolutionary aquatic ancestors or whatever. That's nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Where were we? Um, yeah, the, t- the T-Rex were very convincing. I just want to talk about the behaviours of the animals, because there's a
1: lot... Yes, I wanted to get to that.
0: Yes, yes, this has been a subject of some contention, hasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on speculation.
1: Because I think this is one of the areas in which I can very clearly see the influence of Darren Nash. Well, yeah. Yes, I think so too.
2: (laughs) It's like, oh, yesterday's the TV show, it's it's like someone gave him the, um, you know...
1: They keep doing things you would never expect them to do. Unless you've been keeping up and reading all yesterdays and that sort of thing.
2: Someone just gave him the keys to the sweet shop and he's in there going, Woohoo,
1: what can I can do? I do all these crazy
0: <laughs> As he should. Exactly. Yeah. I mean I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that they did that much actually. It allowed him I mean if if some if most of the ideas are attributable to Darren, um then, you know, it's a pleasant surprise that they did give him that much uh, freedom.
1: Well, surely it wasn't just him, but I think it, it. I think it is very much his influence which allowed the series to be as, you know, weird as it sometimes was. Yes, yes.
2: Obviously, I like that animals were allowed to do goofy things and look a bit ridiculous, even, you know, what we would maybe perceive as being oh, like a really frequently. cool, scary predator. were allowed to do slightly silly things that animals would do in reality. What animals do do in reality um i did find sometimes looking back on it it occasionally got a little bit distracting just thinking about well what extant animal have they borrowed that from or what what are they referencing there and i was just kind of it did right. take me out of it a little bit i was bit.
1: constantly uh nudging my partner going oh this and this real animal does that <laughs> you know uh, yeah uh, they go into yeah. caves yes elephants do that Uh um, you yeah. know uh animal. you have the yeah <laughs> yeah or um you have these this sneaky male in, impersonating a female. You know, uh, plenty of animals do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I me
2: mean, racking my brain, thinking. Oh, yeah, what does that apart from cuttlefish? Um, I knew about cuttlefish. I remember that from a TV show. But it was the wrasse right does that. Yeah, that was obviously it's more than just cuttlefish. I'm just ignorant. Um, <laughs> I've, I've since read there are a few others. Um, but yeah, it, it just. I mean, one of the most immersive scenes for me was with um, unpronounceable Chinese Tyrannosaur, um Peng. Please, Chanjosaurus. Thank you. <laughs> Chungosaurus. Ch- yeah, hunting the uh, Carithoraptor through the forest. That for me was one of the most immersive scenes because not only did the uh, chanjosaurus in particular look absolutely stunning. Yeah, you did it. And utterly convincing. Thank you. Utterly convincing. Uh, I mean, the Carithoraptor did too. I wasn't sure about the bright blue, but they, nevertheless, the feathering and everything was fantastic. Um, it's and, something satir- that's huge, it? and, and the way that they moved yeah, in particular, the predator, talking. Really Predator stalking the prey, taking it very careful yes, steps, twitching, exactly. and adjusting its vision.
0: And um, just and even even the caridhosaurus running away. There was that there's this fantastically awkward looking sway that they do, which which reminds one exactly of um of ratites, actually. Yeah, an <laughs> an yeah. emu. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fantastic. It's so beautifully observed. So that scene, I mean, it helped. It was very beautiful. But that scene,
2: I found, really sucked me in because I wasn't thinking about, oh, well, what have they borrowed this from? What have they borrowed that from? Or that's a bit unusual. I wonder what what inspired that. It was just, here's a predator hunting its prey. And it, it's the most gorgeously rendered dinosaur scene you've ever seen on TV. And I just, I, I, and I thought, maybe we could have done with a little bit more of, I hate to say it, but maybe we could have done with a bit more, a few more conventional sort of scenes like that, of just animals hunting each other or carrying out sort of, things would be regarded as being a bit normal and boring having said that i the the episode with pachyrhinosaurus or the rather the scenes with pachyrhinosaurus and nanooksaurus um i wasn't uh, probably one of my least favorite parts because it felt like we'd seen it before i know it's completely going against what i just said <laughs> but um it's to destroy my own argument here but it felt like we'd seen, seen it in david armsby
1: shorts didn't we
2: yeah, well, we've seen packy rhinosaurus herding. Well, in fact, ceratopsians generally, but packy specifically herding, and then we've seen these tr- tr- like predators, be it or whatever, coming in and surrounding them, and their pack hunting and blah blah blah. And it, it, it all just felt very familiar. And for me, that was one of the. In spite of again, the animals looked amazing, and the setting looked amazing. Everything looked amazing. It was just one of the um, the least interesting parts for me. I think because it
0: felt like we'd just sort of seen it, and I, 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 I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I, I do take your point completely, but I think that's where, and again, another, another bit of balancing that they did, I suppose, uh, along with the, the much more speculative behaviors, you have uh, the more standard fare like this to balance out the series. And I think, I think, I think again, it just works in its favor.
1: Um, yeah. And if the sequence, anything, it surprises me how much weird speculative stuff they got in there.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly so, yeah. It,
1: it And how little been. of that traditional predator-prey action there really was.
2: Mm, that's right. I could have done with more of that. Maybe I'm just bloodthirsty, I don't know. <laughs> just wanted a bit more well, predator-prey no
3: interaction.
2: <laughs> Predators hunting stuff. You <laughs> get a fair bit of it. I mean, one of, another one of my favorite sequences, which combined both... Something that wasn't too distracting and speculative in terms of behavior, and something that looked stunning, and it was nevertheless different, was when the velociraptor were hunting the. Pterosaurs hunting the, the, pterosaurs, the pterosaurs, yeah, and oh,
0: wasn't that just the most beautiful sequence?
1: Oh goodness! And again, um, well, I was conference. thinking very much of snow leopards at that point, but yeah, uh, still, that was what they were yeah. thinking of. I but, believe, um, yeah, but, I
0: believe they were referencing uh, an exact uh, documentary series, which had which had exactly that uh, that that very thing happening: uh, snow leopards hunting and falling uh, halfway down the cliff um, and being uninjured at the end of it.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I must have I, seen the scene. I mean, we could keep going. <laughs> we we could, could keep going. I mean, the d- Dreadnoughtus, Mononychus, Dynachyrus. As a Dutch person, I was quite happy that uh, Hoffman's Mosasaur showed up. Oh yes, oh, yeah, Hoffman's yes, Mosasaur. Yeah.
2: And that's the great sequence where it's um, it's getting cleaned, and then the other one turns
1: up and attacks it, and there's a fight. Then. And then that's the fish. Wonderful
0: fish.
2: The
1: fish were extinct fish appropriate to the to the fossil beds first i was thinking oh that those are just some live acting fish but no those were cg fish those were paleontologically accurate fish
0: incredible stuff Lovely. I have to say this because, because it's, it, I just think it was so beautiful. Um, I, I did want to, to mention it when we were talking about the chandrosaurus, but we moved on uh, very quickly. Um, but just to say that that whole sequence in the autumnal forest, um, it, it was just poetry. Um, towards the end in particular, it, it really put me in mind very strongly of a sequence from uh, uh, Zhang Yimou's hero, um, where the what, two it? of the protagonists—you have, yeah. yeah, I have seen it. Yes, but there's the sequence from that film where two of the protagonists in red, in one of the uh, imagined um, flashbacks, um, are dueling in in a, a red and gold forest um and although it, the the forest in in the chungosaurus uh, sequence wasn't exactly like that but the atmosphere that was being imparted uh reminded me so strongly of it it was just beautiful um i just I,
2: yeah. yeah now you mention it um I had it, I had it in the back of my mind like this this really reminds me of a of i'm sure a fight sequence in a film and now that you've yeah and mm-hmm. that, was, that must have been it because i have seen that film albeit a long time ago so yeah <laughs> same um but that may have been my favourite sequence in the whole thing. I absolutely—I was just so enraptured by the whole, the whole affair. As you say, it was poetry on screen. Mm. Um, oh was, yes, I, and that—that that was the one time where I really just lost all. Um, but the, the illusion was kind of complete for me. I completely suspended my disbelief and thought, "Wow, I'm yes. really looking at these things." that—that that, yeah. that was that. Um, you know, it hit the peak of seeing the original jurassic park for the first time and thinking wow these look incredible um everything else of course everything else looked amazing but you're still going back your mind cg dinosaurs and but somehow that sequence in particular for me just
0: yeah, exactly
2: absolutely nailed it yeah. <laughs> in every respect
1: mm-hmm. so all in all yes. um i i think we are quite positive about prehistoric planet is is that a, an accurate summation
2: yeah, I'm positive about oh, it. Yeah. There were things there were things that I might have changed, but overall it was the best thing since Walking with Dinosaurs and possibly Slice <laughs>
0: Now, dear listeners, I have in my reticule a fan, a bottle of lavender water, and a small file of smelling salts ready to be deployed, because our guest this episode is none other than paleoart superstar and heartthrob Gabriel Ugetto. Gabriel is a qualified herpetologist, graphic designer, and illustrator. Though it is perhaps for his paleo art that he is best known, and his prolific output in this field has found clients in museums, books, and scientific publications the world over. He has twice led paleo art workshops for the Zoom version of the Tetrapod Zoology Conference, and has also contributed to the Prehistoric Planet series. Gabriel. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to Casmosource.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful introduction. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the podcast and of the blog, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours oh, of yours so. you're very kind. Um,
0: thank you so uh, much, Gabriel.. <laughs> Well, let's begin. Uh, well, Gabriel, your work is, is so well known and uh, you have such a large online following uh, and uh, you, you do regular question and answer segments of your own via your Instagram. So I must confess that it feels as though there's very little left to ask you, but be that as it may, <laughs> let's not break tradition with the first question, shall we? Tell us if you could. How did your love of dinosaurs and prehistoric life develop?
3: Well, I don't remember a time in which I, you know, I wasn't thinking uh, about uh, uh, prehistoric animals. And uh, I think it's that's because you know my older brother, um, who he's older than eighteen years older than me, right? Um, He's a geologist, and so I grew up surrounded by books about you know, minerals and paleontology and, and, and fossils. And, and, and he would often bring like small fossils home and bones. And, oh, nice. and all my family in general uh, just loves animals in one way or shape or form. And I, I grew up surrounded with animals in general. yeah And um, my mom used to read me like, Dinosaur, she, my bedtime stories were like dinosaur books, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the taxonomy of dinosaurs at that time. And um, so, it, 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 you know, that's, I think it was inevitable for me to grow, grow up loving, um, you know, prehistoric animals. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, of course. Yeah I didn't know that at all about your brother uh, being a, a geologist so that's wonderful to know and uh, we don't tend to get many uh, of our guests who have had their parents read uh, dinosaur bedtime stories to them um so that's wonderful um and uh, and of course uh, you you became a herpetologist you were primed uh, to follow in this direction and I suppose then the the art just followed on from there quite naturally
3: well, yeah, I'm a traditionally, uh, I'm a traditional artist. Uh, I studied graphic design and illustration, yep. so that's my main—that's like my main uh, passion. But I've always, you know, I've always loved reptiles and amphibians, so it was also ined- inevitable for me to, you know, become her- involved in herpetology yes. in some way, shape, or form. And so um, I think actually that has been extremely beneficial for me as a paleo artist because. Uh, I I I think I look at things uh, at extinct animals from a probably a slightly different perspective that other artists yes. do, and um, and so uh, I think uh, that that's been extremely and I think also it's been a, a, a natural progression uh, for me to come from the natural history illustration yes. world yes. into um, the the paleo art. Because I, I always say, and I, I tell this to everybody, that in scientific illustration, there are usually two avenues in which you can go to. Uh, one is uh, medical illustration and the other one is paleo art. Those are the ones that, you know, probably have the most, you know, uh, uh, audiences, right? Right. So, right. Um, or the bigger the bigger audiences. So. I, I always say I am too much of a hypochondriac and a, and a germaphobe to go into <laughs> the medical illustration world. So there was no other choice for me but to go into paleoart. But in, you know, on a, on a more serious note, I always loved reptiles and amphibians. And, and because I was involved in that world, it was kind of a natural progression for me to go into paleoart. Yes,
0: it's almost like a predestination. Uh, if, if we're allowed to <laughs> that phrase, yes, it was at least inevitable. Yes. I also remember, Gabriel, you're mentioning that Peter Zellinger, um, one of whose books, by the way, formed the subject of our vintage dinosaur art discussion in episode 14. Um, yes. uh, Peter yes. Zellinger was a, a particularly uh, formative for you in paleo art terms, at least. Oh, yes. um, can you yes. tell us more yes. about this, this influence?
3: Well, I remember because um, uh, uh, I think the, one of the first books that I've ever remember seeing dinosaurs in, and it's one of those books that my mom used to show me and read me when I was
0: right. you know, a,
3: a baby, was, was one of those Salinger books. Right. Um, actually, the one that you featured in the, in the blog. Um, uh, and, and I remember, uh, uh, I think we got it in the, in the Natural History Museum of New York in one of our visits uh-huh. and um, I just was perplexed by I, I think yeah definitely it was formative I think part of my head I cannot um i I will never be able to unsee those dinosaurs in my brain you know yes. like i I can't remember the the color in particular those those blue purple bands that a lot of um, his dinosaurs were colored mm. with Um I, that particularly, I think, left an imprint in my head, and yeah, I, I I see them vividly, and I think, you know, for sure, it it has to have had some sort of influence, and I, and I know when we talked about it online, you you told me that yeah, you could see some, you know, flat, yes. like glimpses of that in my work.
0: Yes, I did. Yes, I mean, I hope <laughs> I hope that's not. Uh... Uh, it's not. It's not an overreach uh, to say as much.
3: No, no. I, I could actually see after you told me that I was like, I guess so. And I mean, it makes sense because we are as artists. We 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 have, you know, we're we're molded by certain pieces of art or or yes. artists that we've you know followed or seen since we're little. So
0: yes, of course. And and were there any other key influences uh, in paleo art terms?
3: Well, uh, a lot of my, you know what I, I, I think. A, a lot of my influence have me more recent. More recent, I, I am right, a big fan of John Conway. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I think uh, it, it's a, it's a. You know, I'm a huge fan. I try not to, um, uh, when we are in Tetsu Khan, I, I try not to not to fangirl too much. But I, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I love what he does. And, yes, of course. Um, uh, uh, I think there, you know, a lot of people have been influenced by Greg Paul, and so, yeah. of course, that's an influence for my for me as well. Yes, uh, but to funny enough, I think to a lesser degree, I think actually, if if I had to pinpoint a lot more of my uh, uh, references or, or or the people that influenced me more, more than paleo artists have been natural history illustrators. Yes. Um, you know, I think I think I think I that's been more influential for me, and I have probably translated what I the influence that they got me. I translated that into paleo art in my yes. own art. You know, that's that. I think that's probably more what I've done.
0: Yes. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, Gabriel, the the crux of what we hoped to speak to you about um, given that we've decided to give this episode's discussion up to prehistoric planet in lieu of our usual vintage dinosaur art um, <laughs> we particularly wanted to ask you about your part in this series as our cleverly planned tie-in but frustratingly and mystifyingly you're still not allowed to talk about it despite no. the series having already aired
3: yes unfortunately I'm still you know I the only- only thing I can say is that uh, I'm still not allowed to say basically anything about <laughs> being involved in it. The only thing I can say is that I was involved in it. I did quite a bit of work in it, but I still cannot tell you what I did. All I can say is that it's a it's it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I had uh, it was definitely a in some ways it was a life changing experience just because. It's such a cool project, and a project that I, I, I feel I'm very proud of um, yes. because I think it's such a—it's so good that we have uh, finally a, a good representation of extinct animals, not just dinosaurs, but ex, but extinct uh, of the extinct fauna of the of the Yes, um, that we still that we have a good representation for the general audience to see. Um, you know, I think, and I was telling this to somebody the other day, I think this is the first time that we've seen pterosaurs portrayed properly yes. on, uh, you know, on regular media. And that's that's a huge thing, because one of my, always, my biggest complaint is that you never see pterosaurs portrayed properly. I mean, just look at the abominations of Jurassic Park, you know, <laughs> Jurassic Park uh, and I mean they're just the worst. probably the worst thing about the Jurassic World movies and Jurassic Park movies have been the pterosaurs. It's like horrifying. So <laughs> I, I'm very happy about the things that, 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 that how prehistoric planets has portrayed them. I, I promise that when I'm able to say what I did, um uh I will. And uh, but something tells me that you're gonna have to wait a little bit for that. Okay. Like, you're gonna have to wait a while. All
0: right. Well, we should look forward very greatly to it. Uh, did
3: were... but but I, I also can say that you know there were a lot of you know a, a huge amount of uh, talented people involved in this.
0: Oh yes, uh, I think course. it's
3: something crazy like fifteen hundred people in total that was involved in it, and uh, you know from animators to the consultants to all that. Yes, it's it's such a good uh, you know group of people that. You know, you it shows when you get a lot of people that are really passionate about something that the product uh can be excellent, you know.
0: Yes, of course. Well, Gabriel, you've you've already anticipated um what I was hoping to to glean from you, um, you know, without your breaching any contract, we were hoping that we might try and skirt around and ask you things like uh um what your experience was and, and how satisfied you were with the extent to which your work was used. And, uh, and you've already answered all of that, um, which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right then. Well, I'm, well. We, we should look forward to, to whenever you are able to review what it was that you did. Yes. Were you given a reason uh, for why you are still not allowed to speak about it?
3: Yes, I was given a reason. It's a very good reason. I just cannot say what it is. Oh,
0: you can't tell us that either. All right, then. Okay, we'll just no. have... <laughs> we'll just have to, to make do. Okay, then. Well, in, that, in that case, well, well, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, something that you, you are allowed uh, to 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 chat to us about um i hope which is that um you worked on the the extinct series of books uh, written by professor ben garrett um the last of which if i recall correctly was just recently published um is that right yes 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 okay so so tell um, us about that that
3: was another yeah that was another amazing experience just because Ben is amazing, and and one of the, the the great things about this is that you know he's become become a very good friend of mine,
0: and, mm. and
3: he's wonderful to work for. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about him. Uh, it was it's been wonderful to every meeting we have to discuss. We had to discuss what the illustrations were going to be and how we wanted to present them. What's just wonderful. We were always in tune, which is not. You know always the case with all your clients and you must know this very well that um, <laughs> yes uh, I do understand it's not always easy to, yes, it's not always easy to be on the same page but uh, but it was wonderful and it was another um, change life-changing experience for me as an artist because um, there were there are uh, you know it's a book series yes um, and uh, I for we started working on them like right before the pandemic. Yeah. But then the pandemic came, and a lot of things like our schedule got all, you know, discombobulated, like everything else. Yes, of course. And so for for a lot of the series, I only had a very limited amount of time to work on the illustrations, and that forced that forced me to work on on each book. Basically, I had like probably around two months to work on each book. And we're talking about more than 25 illustrations per book. It was at some points it was really grueling. I, I, I almost, you know, I I was so worried that I wasn't going to be able to meet the deadlines and I'm a fast illustrator. You are. Yes. um, But this was really testing me and, and, even though it was extremely hard, it was a wonderful experience because I got to illustrate a lot of different animals from different eras, both both extinct and extant, um, in many different ways—not the usual ways in which they are portrayed. Right, and the subjects were super interesting, and you know, I I must say that we did we did the. Um, uh, um, bioluminescent extinct uh, cephalopods way yes. before prehistoric planet. Ah! Uh-huh. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, yes. But it was it was, it was really wonderful. That's a it's a great experience. It was very very hard. I mean, it was very very hard. But I I cannot wait until I can work with Ben again because it's it was a really excellent experience. I had a great time. Um, it was. It taught me as an as an illustrator. You know, I, I think also when you're when you're working fast and on a deadline, and you have to think of ways to make things, you know, to work efficiently and yes. um, you know, productively, you learn a lot of you, you you pick up a lot of new traits in the way. So uh, I I think I, I yeah that made me grow as an illustrator tremendously out of necessity
0: that's fantastic to know yes i mean i i can't even begin to imagine how you managed that and as you say uh, you are a fast worker as it is but just 2 months to create uh, the illustrations for one book um i would have uh, i <laughs> i can't even begin uh, to fathom that because yes. I, I mean i i, I must- it was terrifying
3: yeah. let me tell you <laughs>
0: Oh yes, yes, indeed. And,
3: and the worst, and the worst is that we had, we had, we had to. I had two weeks to work on a book, and then probably like a week and a half, or like two weeks of, you know, of a break, and then I had to start the other book. So it, it was like, and, you know, and that's of course, you know, I had other commissions at the time as of well. Course. So I yeah. have to like, my schedule was insane, insane. It, 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 I must say, it, it did leave me a little bit burnt out. Like I, I'm still a little bit recovering from it because it it wasn't easy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, I well, I mean, in spite of all of this, then I'm very happy to hear that that it was nevertheless a a, a good experience for you. Um, Yeah, which isn't, one couldn't always say this of a project like this, uh, a project which tested you as much as this one must have done. Um, So that's great to know. I hope, other than uh, the happy experience of working with Ben, I hope that you were well reimbursed for this. I was, I was, I was. That's good. (laughs) That also helps, yes. Well, on the subject of books, um, Gabriel, you're well you've been working on a book of your own uh, oh, yes. about the the tetrapods of the triassic yeah could you tell us more about that yes
3: well you know this is this is because i like to um model myself after darenage and he's been working on his own book forever so <laughs> now i'm going to be working on my own book forever as well um no so this started i always think when I, so whenever i start a personal project i say oh I'm just gonna have this done in very short time, and then yeah. of course I start working on it, and I realize what a horrible and, and you know time-consuming labor is this is, oh, and yes. um, and I start expanding it because I can never do something small. I always have to you know start adding things, adding things. So it, originally the book was going to be about the tetrapods of the Jurassic and the Triassic. Right. Then, as I started working on it, and I said, "This is insane because it's going to be like you not know, only it's going to have like a million pages, and nobody's going to is going to want to print this anywhere." Um, uh, I'm going to be working on this until I'm 80, so uh, I better narrow <laughs> this down. And I start, you know, I said, "Well, you know, I'm going to start. Let's start this like a like you know, if we, if the book is going to be called Journey to the Mesozoic, let's divide it." Into periods, and let's start with the Triassic, right? So, and you know, not to say that it's also one of my probably my favorite period of the Mesozoic. So, right. um, I say, and also the most the most underrepresented and the least understood, and the most overlooked by the general audiences. Just yes, because, uh, you know, a, a few people know what all the amazing animals uh, that live during the Triassic are, and I think everybody's sleeping on the Triassic. So I said, well, I'm going to change that. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this book, which the idea of the book, the, the idea of the book is basically, it's called Journey to the Mesozoic, you know, tentatively. This is the, the title now. Yeah. Uh, Journey to the Mesozoic, Volume 1, Tetrapods of the Triassic. So the idea is that you are basically looking at a field guide of the animals of the, through the Triassic in different parts of the world. Like if you were traveling, so I have a chapter that is, that travels through each part of the world during the early Triassic, then another one during the middle Triassic and another one during the late Triassic. I'm looking at formations, at geological formations for each continent and um, each one of those formations I'm gonna I'm gonna describe the tetrapod fauna of right. those formations, and they're gonna be arranged um, in a cladogram. And like if you've seen my 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 um, cladograms that I've done, they're very organic. The the, the lines are very organic. They're gonna yes. be presented that way. Right there, and then also there is another section of the book where I you know basically give you like a like a, a small. Um, Primer about each uh, Group and family Present uh, of, of tetrapods present in the Triassic And that part Is going to have all It's going to be all scenic illustrations So you're going to have more like I see. The illustration that you've seen from me From like landscapes and stuff and That's going to be in that, in that part of the book So it's going to be a mixture It's going to have a little bit of everything Which is why it's taking me forever
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes of course i mean i i again once again i cannot even begin to fathom the scale of this and uh, do i understand correctly then that this means that you you do intend to to go on to the jurassic as well or or has that been curtailed altogether yes
3: no, no, no. I, 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 if it does well, I always say if it does well and people like it and I get some good, you know, a good response from the first one. My idea is to go, well, I, I would love to go to the Jurassic and the Cretaceous just because I would like to finish the, the entire Mesozoic. Yes, um, of course. Yeah. But... If it does really, really well, and I do, do this for the rest of my life, eventually I would like to to, to do you know also the Paleozoic and, and probably the Cenozoic at some point.
0: Well, I can't imagine them not doing well, actually. I, I think, I think well, we know you have a, an enormous audience um, who are looking forward to everything you do, and uh, this uh, will certainly be among them. I'm, I've certainly seen people inquiring after it uh, quite frequently. Um, so I can't imagine well, that. Yeah. So far,
3: I've gotten like really good response, but you never yes. count your chickens until they hatch. Oh, know? No, no,
0: I do understand that. But yes, I can't imagine this not doing well. So um, I suppose we'll, we'll just have to, to look forward to uh, to the books, um, to the first one to begin with, uh, whenever, whenever it should be ready. Uh, Gabriel, you recently asked your Twitter followers uh, a really interesting question. Um, I believe it was: um, What do you dislike most, or what is your least favorite thing about paleo art? And by which you mean not just the practice of it, but but all the other aspects concerning mm-hmm. it, including the the community. Yes. Um, do you recall yes. the answers that struck you most, or or say the commonest
3: thread? Well, yes. A lot of people are really put off by um, the amount of you know people wanting to be accurate and and saying oh this is uh, this is not accurate and and a lot of people they are fixated into this idea that certain things are near accurate not accurate even when we really don't know a lot of things um, mm. about how these animals looked and yes. and a lot of those things are, are flexible to a degree um, and I think a lot of the people that. I think it comes from a lack of understanding of how science works, yes, um have these fixated ideas about um, you know how animals look even 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 with things as as um, as as common as you know whether dinosaurs have filaments or not or certain dinosaurs had filaments or not, or if they had lips or not um, uh, those things generate. This crazy amount of tribalism, which for me mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: it shows that you know it shows a basic lack of understanding of how the scientific process is. Yes, I mean, um, w- when I do an illustration about early dinosaurs with filaments, for example, I always say, Yes, I'm doing this because I'm I am following a hypothesis I think is the one that. That 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 is more parsimonious to me, and also is the one that I think is 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 uh, uh, it has the the best uh, it, it's presented the best case or right. It's, it's that's why I would follow a hypothesis. Um, I don't get attached to a hypothesis because of my personal preferences, and and that's that's one of the things that I think more people in the paleo in the paleo community. Because not only surprisingly, it's not only in paleo art but in paleontology itself that this happens. Oh yes, um, yeah, surprisingly. Uh, but I wish more people would think that way. You know, like don't get attached to your own preferences, but mm. try to 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 see things from a from a distance and and. I think there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of tribalism in paleo art. So a lot of paleo artists who are starting and are creating, you know, are having fun are not yes. allowed to have fun because you have all these people telling me, do no, you should not do that. You should not do that. You, yeah. you I have a friend actually that yesterday was telling me just that, that they just did this, you know, dinosaur uh, reconstruction. And immediately people started telling him, no, you should not, criticizing and tearing it down when a lot of it, you what they were tearing the illustration for, they were tearing the illustration down for, is not something that we really completely, absolutely know with yes. 100% certainty. So that is problematic, and um, there's a lot of that. Also, interestingly enough, there, there's the, also the other, there's like a subsect also of the paleo art community, which is... I say then they go to the other extreme, right? So right. it's all about, um, you know, let people uh, do whatever and don't pay attention right. to any hypothesis or anything. And that cannot also be how things are because you do have to follow. And that so the people that were telling me, well, you know, I, I wish more people would pay attention to the art part of paleo art. And I, And I understand that, but... Paleo art, at least for me personally, and this is my personal view, it is part of scientific illustration. It's a part yes. of the science. You are trying to represent something that existed and you would do, it's not completely free form. You know what I mean? You, you,
0: yeah, of You
3: are bound by certain, you know, uh, boundaries. Yes. In, in what you're doing. So, uh, it, like everything... Try to stay in the middle ground.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, I understand that. And I suppose this one, uh, this latter point, comes down to uh, how broad a term you regard paleoart as. Um, and, and yes, I, I completely understand um, that paleoart, in the strictest sense, um, is one that serves uh, scientific communication. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and yes, you would have to... And I'm,
3: and I'm going to say something. It doesn't have to do with the style. Because oh. you can have completely like a wonderful different styles. I believe that there's a room for everybody, and everybody, everybody's different style is not only welcome but needed. And, yes, and you right. can have all kinds of different style, but you know you do still have to present animals as they were. You have a magnificent examples of that. You have um, like stuff like what uh, Natalia Jesieltka does. She does amazing. Yes. Uh, cartoon style illustrations of animals yes, that are right. perfectly well presented you know mm-hmm.
0: yes exactly yes yeah and i suppose um there is there is a space in which you can uh draw a dinosaur however you like with complete disregard to to the the scientific consensus, provided you do not present it as uh, as uh, well, as scientific illustration, and and maybe that's where exactly. that's where the the definition of um, of paleo art becomes a difficult one to determine for, for some artists, and um, you know, yeah. I mean, but I, I would regard that as, as fantasy, and and you are allowed to to draw uh, you know anything, <laughs> in in which case, but exactly. then that's, um, yeah, exactly, yes. And, is, uh,
3: I, mean, I, I totally agree that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing because I know I think that nowadays everybody has their own opinion about what paleo art is. But yes. for me personally, and this is my yes. personal opinion, and you, you people out there listening to this might disagree with me. But for me personally, it is a form of scientific illustration, and yes. there are some things that are, you know, you are within certain boundaries that you have to be in you know
0: yes yes i understand that all right then um lastly uh aside from your triassic uh, tetrapod book which of course is a longer term project um what are you working on at the moment that you are allowed to talk about
3: <sighs> that i'm allowed to talk about let's see well i have i have hopefully some some illustrations that i that i've done recently that should be lifted out of embargo soon and right. currently, I am I am working on some... Oh, you know what I can say? Lately, I'm working on some additional package art for Visto uh, figures.
0: Oh, of course. That's right.
3: Yes, I'm going to do a few more. I think three more in, in, in total, um, which is fun. I mean, honestly, I had so much fun doing the first three for the Tyrannosaur art series. And um, yep. I went across... You know, David Silva asked me again. Um, oh, would you be willing to? You know, would you be interested in doing it some more? It's like, oh yeah, I had so much fun doing the, the the first three. I would love to do more. So I'm gonna do a uh, few more on, on ceratopsians. And I think I'm doing a, a dromaeosaur too, which is super cool because I haven't done
1: a oh, excellent
3: for, for yes. the figure series yet. And yes, of course, um, I. I'm working right now also on... Well, I am doing um, the illustrations for a book that I cannot say what it is, but it involves dinosaurs, so that's really cool. And I'm also doing... I'm I'm doing... um, uh, I'm working on a commission for a a Permian Permian scene, which is going to be cool because it's the first... um, Permian scene that I've done. Um, this is the first commission that I've done involving a Permian uh, scene, with right. animals and plants and stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And today actually um, came out uh, an illustration of the first uh, derived Homo species that I've ever been commissioned to work with. And that was a really cool experience as well. Um, very it was strange. I don't know if I will repeat it, but it was definitely <laughs> interesting experience. Working on derived hominids have it's, it has its is a whole different thing, you know, in many ways.
0: Oh, of course, yeah, yes, no, I understand that. That's a complete uh, an unknown territory for me. So I, I can see the yeah. difficulty in that one. Well, this is all absolutely fantastic, Gabriel. Um, it's been such a complete delight speaking to you at length, at last. Um, well, good luck in all things, as always. And uh, thank you again so much for your time.
3: Thank you so much for having me. And It was wonderful talking to you, as always. Um, I always enjoy talking to Natty, no matter what. And um, uh, I, oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank and you so huge, much. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of the... I'm a huge fan of the of the of the um, the podcast and and the blog as well. I'm always listening. It's it's one of the podcasts that I regularly listen to. So um, it's been an honor to be part of it. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me and. Wish me luck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, Gabriel. And thank you so much. We're so happy to to count you among our our listeners and our readers. That uh, means so much to us.
3: Thank you.
1: Uh, One thing I want to say before we wrap this one up. Uh, A few months ago, we already mentioned that um, David and Jenny Orr's book, Mammoth Mopi was going to get right. a second edition. Yes. And guess what? It's out. And it's looking it's great. It's a color now. Yeah.
0: It's beautiful. And you should all buy one for your dinosaur loving friends and family.
1: Buy it wherever uh, fine books are sold. And we'll include a link. Uh, it got the Dino Dad stamp of approval. So uh, what more do you want? Exactly. <laughs>
0: And now it has the Chasmosaur's stamp of approval, which is kind of granted, awesome. but nevertheless, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was always going to have that.
2: <laughs> There's something of a conflict of interest there. Um. <laughs> Never. It's nice, though. I've got a signed yes. copy of the first edition. So there. I'm mm. going to get a second edition. Yes,
1: me too.
0: And uh, we'll include a link to direct to the publisher where you can order it if you can't find
1: it uh, elsewhere. I do want to console Mammoth, poor thing. Poor uh, anyway, it's been an episode.
0: I hope you enjoyed it as much as we have gushing about Prehistoric planets, Gushing, gushing and gushing again.
2: Naturally, we'll go back to Vintage Dinosaur Art next time. But what should we cover next time? Leave your thoughts in the comments.
1: Yes, do leave your thoughts in the comments. We're open to suggestions.
2: What should we look at? Nobody say we need to talk about Jurassic World Dominion because we'll just ignore you. But we, actual, an actual vintage dinosaur art we need to go back to next time. Not some uh, modern day CG production. None of us want to i haven't seen see it. it no i haven't either
1: <laughs> i was pressured yes. into seeing the last one and, uh, I... I was
2: put off by fallen kingdom it was so bad and i just
0: <sighs> no <laughs> don't get us no, started. No. that's that's enough of that now that, uh, enough that's enough more of that. than we can more than we can countenance on our podcast so uh yep
1: the king yes. is dead long live the king prehistoric planet is our king now <laughs> ever and always the once and future king. let's hope so long may they rain
0: (laughs) gone off on my Arthurian thing again okay
3: (laughs) bye (laughs) (laughs) a funny camelot
0: well
1: goodbye everybody
0: thank you so much bye bye
1: thank you for listening to love in the time of chasmosaurs your hosts were Nati Himapan Mark Vincent and me Niels Haasborg you can find all links and images we discussed today on our blog at chasmosource.com. You can find us on Twitter at chasmosaurs and on Facebook at love in the time of chasmosaurs. If you want to give us your support, please give us a comment or a good review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us at patreon.com L-I-T-C. Our music is by Rohan Long, who can be found at bronzewing.bandcamp.com. Stay safe, look after each other, and we hope to see you again soon.